0: Hello, sales here, introducing part the of our Melbourne adventure. As you may or may not be aware, we did two shows in Melbourne. We knew that we would open them roughly the same way with my song with Chris from Breakthrough and our explanation of our donation to paediatric bums. So we told the theatre not to bother recording the first 10 minutes of the second show that means they did miss a somewhat regrettable and unexpected detour into a discussion of greyhounds, fishermen's friends and Mars bars. But let's just call that a special treat for the people actually in attendance. So the technician hit play and record, or however the youngsters do it these days, at about 11 minutes in, just as a special guest, Klang was about to join us on stage. I can never come to Melbourne without going... I've just run out of Melbourne cliches. I do it all the time. Or I see Captain Cook's Cabin. If you break into song again, I will break your (laughs) fingers, just by the way. I was going to say, I see Captain Cook's Cabin and go, at least it rhymes with Moorabbin. (laughs) But it reminds me also of a book that I'm really dying to read, which is by my... It's about to come out by my favourite of the late show alumni, Tony Martin. It's called um, Deadly Kerfuffle, and I'm going to be a bit naughty, because I was told backstage before that Tony Martin is in the audience. Is that just, true?
1: He said he was coming,
0: Lee, but he didn't actually show up. Hang on, right? Tony, can you yell out if you're here? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Woo! Tony Martin! Come on down!
1: <laughs> that could have been so awkward, mate. <laughs>
2: oh! <Yeah. laughs> oh, Tony! Now, um... So- It's Lee Sales from Breakthrough. (laughs) I'll just sit on the table. It's sort of... It's awkward. Sit on the table. It's awkward. Chat tends a show... That's quite acceptable, isn't it? Chat
0: tends a show for two. Now... um,
2: Sorry, I haven't got a Mars bar fitted. This is...
0: (laughs) I was going to um, just paraphrase your book, but you're in the audience, so you might as well tell everyone yourself.
2: (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I have to say, by the way, I had to look at that. I hadn't watched that Melbourne uh, cliché song and I had to look at it on YouTube. And, and what are you saying? Captain Cook's cabin. cabin. It's Captain Cook's cottage. We've clearly just said... <laughs> Cabin, so that would rhyme with Morabbin. It's really, it's quite poor.
0: There was a lot of you also. I mean, I, I, the original song's Happy Birthday, Helen, that was being parodied. Yeah. And I can't, I recall seeing the film clip for it, but there's a bloody lot of you spinning around in circles. That's
2: all. I was just spinning around in a circle in a different location. That was the direction.
0: <laughs> you must have had a hell of a headache at the end That's of the day.
2: Right. Well, the cheap laughs. It was 1992. Acid-washed jeans just wasn't enough. <laughs>
0: Anyway, this isn't your show, Tony. It's ours. And uh, yes, so, sorry. <laughs> so, um, the novel.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, it is a it is a novel. It's called uh, Deadly Kerfuffle. and uh, what's it about in one well, paragraph or less? Uh, well, when I was a kid.
0: <laughs> oh Jesus! When Let's I was a kid. Let's go back in
2: time. <laughs> No, I used to... Uh, there, was a, there was a street in Hamilton in New Zealand that had uh, 20 council flat houses in a row and they were all facing the front, except the seventh one along was on a weird angle and word went round our school that uh, Egyptians had moved <laughs> into the house and it had the house turned to face Mecca. <laughs> and when I, believe I went there's back... A lot to, of that still going on. <laughs> I don't... I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't true, but... I went back to New Zealand 10 years later and this had just become accepted as fact. So what I did is I used that as the starting point for a novel set in 2006 where, imagine if this happened in somewhere like Camberwell and uh, there was a a pro... And in fact, it's Maori people who have moved in but no one... Are they Islamic? No one's sure. (laughs) And so there's a protest rally to protest the proposed Islamic rotation of the property and the... The local tabloid newspaper has a diagram of the house revolving with un-Australian intent.
1: You know, a lot and about the- <laughs> Barnaby Joyce is starting to make sense to me right now. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then that's... Yeah, that's the... And then it just proceeds from there. The the uh, protest rally is reported as a race riot and then the street gets called Terror Street and what begins as an Ealing comedy ends as a Tom Clancy thriller. That's... <laughs> That's what I've spent the last year doing anyway.
1: My question to first-time novelists is always, is there a sex scene? How do you write?
2: There's no sex scene, but there are a lot of scenes uh, set at a theatre restaurant.
1: <laughs> well, for some of us on this, the, this stage, that would be a sexual experience. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I cannot wait to read that novel. That is my yes. conclusion.
0: And um, one last thing before we go, because we're about to talk yes. about podcasts. You are doing a podcasty type show as well.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, yes, I'm doing a show at the Fringe uh, this week, and it's a failed sitcom <laughs> that nobody wanted to make for television because it's about. Uh, it's called Childproof. It's about people who have chosen not to have children. Is Is that anyone here? And we were told it's too niche. There's not enough people who. Have chosen not to have children, so what we're doing is we're we're doing it like a live radio, an old style radio drama. We're doing the whole six episodes over three nights, and
0: uh, so between yeah. between the um, the hating on um, people who have children <laughs> and right. the sort of Islamic staff, the Herald Sun and Andrew Bolt should be really enjoying you coming up.
2: <laughs> it's I'm going to be a whole week of the Bolt Report. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs>
0: Thank you for being you. a good sport, Tony Martin. Also, Tony, I've organised my children to uh, key your car outside. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I feel> <laughs> um, okay, so podcasting, what have you been listening to?
1: Uh, do you know, I actually met a person, okay, so I went to see her speak. Didn't exactly... I mean, we met briefly. I mean, but mainly she was... I was in an audience and she was talking. Have you been stalking somebody? No, 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 no. Oh, dear, no. No. But the woman who made the podcast Making Oprah was in Australia recently for um, a podcast conference that the ABC did. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We didn't get a flag. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny. My producer's like, oh, the woman from Making Oprah is in town for the ABC's podcast conference. I'm like... Oh cool. <laughs> it was like one of those moments where you find out that like everybody else in the class is invited to the party except for you. I'm like, great, man, that sounds that's I love that podcast. That sounds awesome. <laughs> but uh no, it was fine. It was fine. I had heaps of stuff. I was really busy anyway, so it's fine. It was totally fine. So this one called Jen White. has anyone listen to the Making Oprah podcast? It's yeah, it's awesome. So they go back in time and they basically make a podcast documentary about how Oprah Winfrey became this huge sensation and it's incredible because you know she applied for a job on a daytime TV show in Chicago which is not where she lived and they she turned up and the guy who hired her is like well anyway we'd never had a woman we'd never had a black woman and we'd never had an overweight woman like that was like it was it was a big deal that this guy just went this woman is incredible and we are we are going with her and it was controversial at the time but she was incredibly successful and the amazing thing about this doco is that you hear all this kind of um, historical clips and and she is exactly she is exactly herself from the very beginning. And it's an amazing thing to um, consider this story because you know there really hasn't been another phenomenon like her since her. You know she had this um, top rating show that was essentially run by women, and they really you know that hasn't really worked out for anyone else.
0: Since. And so what happened when you met the woman who made it? Um, I was in the audience while she was talking. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you said you met her. I thought she was your new best friend. Well, she was She was,
1: She was. was talking about um, just the process of making the the show and how they – because I think they're going to make other programs that are the making of, but they were really um, sort of strategic about choosing Oprah as the first one because the draw card – appeal of of her name and the O logo that they used was just so
0: strong. It's been an amazingly successful podcast. And um, the other thing you've told me to listen to that and I haven't you've also (laughs) told me to listen to Malcolm Gladwell's and I haven't.
1: Well, but the Malcolm Gladwell second season of um, um, Revisionist History Revisionist History, thank thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow! (laughs) You know, one thing that um, I should say, Mr. Tony Martin and I have both done in this theatre in the last year is interview Amando Iannucci on stage. Can I get a clang? Thank you very much. And um, and so Tony went first, and I got his sort of sloppy seconds in the like the late show. Um, <laughs> And um, there was this one great moment where Amando Iannucci, I was talking to him, he couldn't remember the name of the president of France, like the newly... And he said, oh, you know, the... Um, 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 and I'm like, Macron. And he goes, oh, Macron. And I thought, I have been Amando Iannucci's Gary just once. <laughs> like, that was actually a really key point wow. in my life. So thank you for being my Gary then, and now I've totally forgotten what we were saying. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. Oh, yeah. yeah. It is... This, this series... Of revisionist history is so good; it is better than the first, I think. And he tackles race. I hate when he tackles race. It's like weighing into a dispute, or you know, shots rang out. I did not mean to say tackles race. I meant to say he kind of has a couple of different podcasts looking at race relations in America, and the one that he does about the Brown and Board of Education case, you know, like the it is okay to have black and white kids educated together and that should probably happen, is a sort of stunning um, and shocking exploration of that case and its ongoing effects for black teachers.
0: See, that's amazing because I would have thought Brown versus the Board of Education, how much more could there be to say about that? Well,
1: what he looks into is not the actual upfront, oh, yeah, kids can be educated together. He looks at the knock-on effect for black schools because what happened when they knocked schools together and they incorporated... They basically brought black kids into white schools and then all of the black schools where the teachers were all black, they all got their notice, basically. There was this white weeding out of black teachers across the board because the white schools didn't employ black teachers. So it was
0: this extraordinary... Like, so many people lost their jobs. Well, this is the same thing that I'm liking about the TV show. I'll come back to podcast in a second. But OJ Made in America that I referenced briefly in the last podcast because I'd only watched one episode. Now I've watched four episodes. The context around the history of racism in the L.A. Um, PD I've found so instructive because and and also the sort of backstory of OJ Simpson in the 60s and 70s because I think as an Australian you know I'm not across American football stars and so you know of course I remember the OJ Simpson case because it was so massive everyone you know alive remembers it but I didn't really have any understanding of why was this so big at this particular moment and it does a really good job of explaining and bringing all that together so you can understand that it was this sort of tinderbox, really, waiting to be ignited, and O.J. Simpson was the person at the centre of it. So, yeah, it's that. It's like what you were describing, but it's going the other way. It's going backwards, not forwards, as Malcolm Gladwell seems to be doing.
1: Yeah, it gives you a, um, just a sense of what the time was like, because I guess because that was the first court case that had been so exhaustively covered, it was all in this brown courtroom, and I guess... That, that series shows you everything else that was going on yeah. um, outside of that courtroom, which is just incredibly useful. I just – also, like, I love finding out more about the circumstances of something that you've seen quite publicly or read about and, like, it, actually what it reminded me of – and I know that I'm on a Helen Garner ban and
0: I'm not allowed to mention her because like <laughs> – Yes, <coughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> I've already given her the – we speak about Garner all the time – has anyone read that um, Bernadette Brennan um,
1: literary biography? Oh, of, oh, no, I know we have, I know so we have. But, much. do you know, um, reading the first stone um, was just a, such an absorbing ex- and sort of life-changing experience for me. I've changed what I, my mind about what I think about that book a bunch of times since I first read it. And, it, you know, that's a definition of a really great book in my, in my uh, brain. Um, but Brennan's literary biography of Ghana gives you so much background to what Ghana was going through and like the stuff that was happening around the edges and like the inside story of that book and the case is so fascinating when told by Brennan. So anyway, it reminds me a little bit of the OJ made in America because it gives me so much more depth and like Kay. that's that's a reasonable that's a reasonable tie-in, <laughs> isn't it? Oh my God.
0: <laughs> you monsters. <laughs> Um, oh, but what were you going to say? I was going to say about a podcast I've been listening to called Mum Says My Memoir is a Lie. Have you listened? Yeah, see. I think they're liking my anecdotes. The Ann so Sales
1: far. Story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> No. I made up the name for her first band. (laughs) Now she barely acknowledges me. (laughs)
0: Um, It is basically, so a woman called Rosie Waterland wrote a memoir about her fairly shocking upbringing, actually, with um, drug-addicted parents and, and, you know, in and out of various um, care situations and blah-blah-blah and just her troubled upbringing, her mother working as a um, sex worker and so forth, and... So she wrote this memoir that was quite successful and now she's reading aloud a chapter of it to her mother and having her mother comment on it. And so it's quite... um, I find it uncomfortable listening but compelling but just so awkward at times. Wow, They have a nice relationship, I think. I bet. Which is, (laughs) it's surprising because given the, you know, circumstances and stuff and given that Rosie's written about it all. But the mother at times, so Rosie will read aloud, um, you know, distressing things about how she felt about things that happened in the house. And the mum will be crying, like, as she reads it aloud. Um, And then sometimes the mum disputes it and says, that's not right. And so the one I just listened to, which I think is episode two or three, Rosie relates her memory of when her mum was working um, in a country town as a sex worker and what Rosie believed that that involved. And then a mother is correcting her and talking her through her career. Um, And, yeah, so it's just, it's very confronting and I feel like I'm not sure if I want to listen on but then I have listened on to a couple of episodes because it's just so unique to get. God. Because you know memoir is always as you know I've said before Clive James has the best ever title Unreliable Memoirs because everyone's is and because you're viewing it from your own perspective so then to hear someone else's take on it is really fascinating.
1: And is that a podcast that's kind of a Listening on the bus podcast? Or is it a doing the
0: dishes podcast? I'm <laughs> di- I'm finding it difficult to slot that one into yeah, a it is daily a, it activity. It is a tricky one. I uh listened to it on the treadmill at the gym when okay. i listened to it. All right. Um it's a bit like um, self flagellation <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's like Bed of Nails. What was, what was the one the clock making one that was really popular recently? What was that called? S Town. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um that Sorry, one it was its primary
1: theme for anyone thinking about, like, any horologists <laughs> in the audience. Like, the clock making is a fairly tiny part. Like, there <laughs> is... <it> just
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't. Like, it was a big part. I'm not going to say any more because I got in trouble for a spoiler I know. <laughs> for this one. Um, it's it, true. That podcast I found so absorbing I could nearly not do anything. Or I'd be doing something and I'd realise after five minutes I'd just, like, stopped doing it because I was <laughs> glued. flipped off the back of the, you know, running <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> no, I'd just stop. I'd be, like, doing weights or something and then I'd realise five minutes later I was just, like...
1: She's listening. We met someone in Perth who fell off a running machine. Um, laughing at us. It was, a, it, was you, it was something appalling that you had done or said, I think, <laughs> during a podcast, and this woman just went, whoa! <laughs> and she just, like, wound up on the floor. I there were was... all these hot guys watching going, hmm. <laughs> um, I should have... Um, I was going to say something, but now I bloody can't remember because of you with your... Well, allow me to leap in.
0: We're going to have some time for audience questions at the end, so if you think you want to ask us something, hold on to it because we'll come to you. I didn't get to
1: talk about, about my segment. art lady. I just remembered. Whack Bit it of out a there. Quick segue. I um went to see, went to the Sydney Contemporary Art Fair um, last weekend and I had one of these moments where you know you're just walking along and you're just suddenly grabbed by this piece of art, right? So, and this is a chatter story as well, which is why it's a bit cockles warming and I didn't want to forget to tell it, although I obviously have for about 20 minutes but now I'm back. Um, Fisherman's friend. Um, (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) So, we're reclaiming bumps, that's what we're doing. Um, Anyway, so I was this The artwork that I was looking at was an arrangement of what looked like old, cracked, used-up soaps, like bars of soap. And there were like about 600 of them in a circle, but all different kind of pastel-y, fondant-y colours, all old and cracked with like dark, like black cracks and stuff. And it looked exactly like cakes of soap used to look on my part of the Adelaide Plains, like on our farm where people with really dirty hands would come in and wash their hands on a bar of velvet soap and the hard water and the dirty hands would make the cakes of soap all cracked and then with black in the cracks. And so it was just like... And because people don't really... Well, I live in the city now and people don't really have super dirty hands and so soaps don't do that or you have those pump soap packs. And so I'm just looking at them and it's like this kind of assembly of my childhood soaps <laughs> so I'm like oh this is so weird and incredible and then this woman came bowling up to me and she said oh god I'm, I'm really sorry I don't do, I really do not do this but I've had a glass of champagne I just want to say I really love your podcast and I'm like ah. Oh. Awesome. I'll chatter everywhere. Um, I said, oh, thank you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, I've listened to all of it while I work. Like, and I said, oh, God, that's amazing, all right. Um, and I said, I'm just totally transfixed by this thing. Look at it. And she said, oh, I made that. <laughs> and she made it while listening to the podcast. Wow. I know, right? And the thing about the soaps is that they are individually hand cast. They're actually made of porcelain. She casts these old soaps and then she makes porcelain models of them and then she paints them by hand so that they look exactly like old. Oh, it's crazy, right? And I said, what, how did this happen? She said, well, I recently had my second child and, you know, got really busy and I couldn't, you know, I just got a bit lost and I knew I had this big exhibition coming up and I couldn't think of anything. I'm like, oh, God, I've got to make all this art and i got no ideas and, you know... Just second child type issues, Tony, you, you wouldn't... Um. <laughs> anyway, so then she... Um, so a friend of hers went... Her friend of hers' elderly father died suddenly and the friend went to the father's house and cleared it all out and found herself unaccountably moved by this bar of soap that she'd found, you know, in his bathroom, and cracked and dried up and she was just so emotionally affected by this item that she went to her friend, the ceramic worker, and said, "Um, this is a really weird thing to ask, would you mind casting this for me? And the artist, her name's Honor Freeman, said, oh, yeah, of course I'll do that. And she made it and coloured it and it was so beautiful that she thought, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do for my artwork. Wow. And so she's collected all these soaps and cast them and coloured them. And I'll put up a link, you know, on our thing because they're so beautiful. And I just thought, go you chatters. Did you buy one or? I did, actually. Oh. Well, they were all sold. So I have said, could you make me one? And she went, okay. So <laughs> so I'm going to have some crazy ceramic Soaps. There my you wall, go. we are one of those ladies now who commissions art. Well, that is exactly... That is indeed what I've just done. So um, <laughs> my
0: driver will pick it up and we'll um, <laughs> be all over it um the other thing i was going to talk about was i said last time um on the podcast that i had watched one episode of ozark because my brother had claimed i needed to get into ozark i've now watched about four episodes of ozark and i probably will keep going with it i would describe it as the poor man's breaking bad um yeah it's basically, I just, it just feels like um, a studio executive said, I want a Breaking Bad. And so it's a guy who's sort of, you know, a family man and it's his family circumstance, but he's involved in a drug business and so it's all a bit awkward. But there's enough going on and enough depth and enough interesting characters that I think it's going to You're really cope selling me. it to me. I'm really <laughs> racing out to enjoy this <laughs> poor man's Breaking Bad.
1: Don't you think That's that one bad. of the most depressing things about really great books or really great TV shows is that sickening sense of certainty that you have that on its way are a 100 million terrible slight adaptations of that thing
0: like <sighs> yep, someone – yeah, exactly, that's right. It's quite um, off-putting. Um, now, shall we go to some audience questions and see what happens? Your eyes were just, like, dead then. <laughs> I'm like,
1: I've, gone, I've gone, isn't that interesting? No, You've just, gone,
0: yes, indeed.
1: No, I just thought a moment. Interesting. I thought
0: no. of <laughs> – no, because I thought of something to say, nothing. but I then had a terrible sense of de- deja vu that we'd had that exact conversation previously and really? so I left it go. Yeah. That's entirely possible. It I mean, I have be. the memory of a goldfish. <laughs> okay, you can ask us whatever you like. Like, <laughs> put your hand up and we'll See, bring this a microphone is the thing. to you. It's not fair just to go,
1: right. oh, lights up. So, where are your questions? Or are you
0: just terribly boring people who don't there's have any There's a lady down here with interests. one. There's somebody up there with one. There's someone down here with one. Oh, okay. All right. Well, now, is there a mic coming around? Yep, okay. It's right there on the mic stand, so we'll shockingly. No, no, there's a girl who's bringing one down. I should well, say a woman because yeah. it's offensive to... To get it off out. the mic stand yes, and take it you. the two metres
1: to... Anyway, but no, let's do it your way.
0: Ah, uh, bite me.
1: Hello? You just Hello.
0: Said bite me? Yes. <laughs> what are you, 12? Sorry. Continue. Thank you so much for coming down to Melbourne. That's a pleasure. Even if it was incredibly difficult. It wasn't actually in the <laughs> with end. It the wind, wind at all. Um, yeah. Other than the sitting my next quest- to Crab, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, my question was, what is your favourite poem? And if that's too difficult, what poem, you know, emotionally devastated you the best? <laughs> I think the
1: first poem that I ever really made a serious attempt at memorising was The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, um, which is a T.S. Eliot poem. Let us go now, you and I, as the evening is spread out against the sky oh, like a patient, Christ. etherized upon a table. I could go on, but I won't, out of deference to you. Not that you stop doing show tunes when I get sick of it, but... There you go. That's just the kind of person yeah, I am. Over I guess in about
0: two minutes. I and can tell that This is going to go on for about twenty-five. Yeah. I love. I love that poem,
1: and I will never stop loving it. And also, kind of, I fell in love with my partner because he had memorised it as well. And there is nothing like nothing for getting a chick in the bag like memorising a great poem. <laughs> he also. When I used to be on night police rounds at the Adelaide Advertiser, the 4pm till midnight shift, he memorised the entire opening speech from Richard III as well. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sexy. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So I will tell you a great Melbourne-based a uh, live poetry performance thing that I just will never forget as long as I live. And that is that in 2013, Melbourne Writers' Festival was on and also the federal election. And I had this really weird 24 hours where I came to the Melbourne Writers' Festival and I interviewed Boris Johnson on stage. And then I... No- <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, yes, clang, Quite. Quiet. And then I got on a plane and then I went to Brisbane and I took a pavlova to Kevin Rudd's house and filmed him for Kitchen Cabinet. One of them was really, really fun and the other one was just so scary. And um, (laughs) Boris turned up so hungover he could barely move and he's like, oh, God, I feel terrible. I just got horribly pissed last night. And then he was all sort of like... And... um, And then at the end of our chat, he was fantastic, but I think he felt like he hadn't... Yeah, I think he was feeling a bit bad about being hungover. And some guy at the back asked me a question about classics and whether classics should be taught. And he launched into a... into declaiming the first 50 lines of the Iliad in the original Greek. It was incredible, and he, then he turned, like, as he spoke, he got up and he started, like, move, he was the priest under the tree and it was just, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. That guy's now the foreign minister of the United Kingdom, which I'm not sure is a great idea,
0: <laughs> but that was a really good moment. I'm going to massively bring the tone down because I'm not much of a poetry person, um, but I do remember the first poem that I ever memorised, which was in grade one, <laughs> and it is... A peanut sat on the railway track. His heart was all a flutter. Along came a train, the 9.15, toot toot peanut butter. I've never, I've always remembered it. I don't know why I have always remembered it. You are ticking a few boxes here
1: tonight, aren't
0: you?
1: (laughs) You've performed live poetry, you've got the band back together.
0: (laughs) Put your hand up if you've got a question, please. We'll come to Yeah, you. moving on. Yeah, just passing yeah. the mic along the road, this gentleman in the oh, middle good. here. Oh, good. The system is working. Yeah.
2: Have you found a boyfriend for hot Callum yet?
0: <laughs> oh, man. Callum did not know what he was getting into. For those of you who haven't listened to it in, I think, the last podcast or the second last one, my producer, Callum, was the person who interrupted us, and I said, Callum, come and say hi, and he said, hi, my name's Callum, I'm single, so if you're interested, you know, blah, blah, blah. He has been inundated (laughs) with people, and he said to me, I had no idea, and... I don't even like show tunes. I'm not one of those gays. How am I going to fit in with anyone who listens to your podcast? Um, And so he's just like every day there's someone more asking him now and date. Oh, that jazz. (laughs) He's he's now seeing somebody but not through the podcast. I think he just got the first available to be like, I'm I'm, I'm taken. I'm taken. (laughs) Not taking any further chatters, I think. I cannot wait to text him after the show to say someone asked if Hot Callum has hooked up. Um, What about up? Upstairs, let's see if we can see a hand upstairs. No, I think there's low interest upstairs. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Just snoozing away. They're all, they're all on their iPhones. How about over here? Do you want to... Um... Front row nerds. You must be the hardest of the hardcore because did you book like tickets and like did you through. go to the front first? I think I was in a work meeting. I booked them like, <laughs> two minutes. Like, <laughs> like I that dedication. Hi, Janice,
0: I have a friend upstairs somewhere. <laughs>
1: It's not as keen as I am.
0: Um, (laughs) I wanted to ask you if there's any board games
1: that you like. And I also brought you the new Aussie slang Scrabble that came out this morning.
0: That is so nice of you. Thank you. you. Thank you so much. How does, like, just don't go away just yet, because I've
1: got a question about this. Yeah. Oh, you've got a microphone, that's all right. We don't have a (laughs) (laughs) Tony Martin between two mics situation going on here. Right, okay. So, but how... Like, Aussie Scrabble, are there different letters that only we use? Like, I mean, is there...
0: I think there's a there's a list in there of suggested vocabulary, like, nutty and things Aww. like that. that Nuddy. Words that you should like. and stuff like that, probably. Yeah, Do you I know,
1: know, I attended the um, International uh, Scrabble Championships when I was working in London as a journalist. I covered the World Scrabble Championships. <laughs> I, I and thought I might be on point with the Scrabble Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I'm, I'd, I love Scrabble, but I found that at the International Scrabble Tournament, See I'm one of these like take 20 minutes and then find a way to make coccyx or something or you know or just a word that I really like sort of thing but not get any points but these dudes were all A about 15 and they all they were just really good at the two letter words. So, it was I, just like the obscure ones that you're allowed to use. So, like, I couldn't recognise any words on the board. It was just like two letters...
0: I had a phase when I, got, when I lived in the United States where I really got into Scrabble. Love your phases. And I knew it all like of the... Christian folk Scrabble for me? <laughs> I knew all of the two-letter words. I think Scrabble's a beautiful game. It's a, it's a really beautiful game. At high levels, it's almost as mathematical, I reckon, as it is linguistic. And the thing that used to piss me off, even though I learnt all of the two-letter words... <laughs> continue as my heart
1: dies. The really
0: <laughs> good, the really good, like the top of the world players, the people you would have been watching, they also know most of the three letters as well. And so it, it is a challenge of how much you can rote learn elite level scrabble. But um I used to find it annoying <laughs> that you can't um if you like I just think well if you don't know the definition of that word you shouldn't be allowed to play it. They don't care about like the sort of use of language or the meaning of language, they care about... That's why I say it's almost numerical. They care about sequences and orders and patterns and stuff like that. It'll all be done by robots. There's an awesome book. The, the thing that got me into the Scrabble glut um, was a book called <laughs> Word Freak uh, by... I think the guy's name was Stefan Fatsis, who became... He, he took a year... He was a at the Wall Street Journal, took a year off the Wall Street Journal to immerse in the world of competitive professional Scrabble and nearly had a nervous breakdown because those people oh, are so wow. hardcore. Is it... And is the book written only
1: in three-letter words that none of us have heard of? (laughs) No, it's a really
0: good book. (laughs) It's just like sort of coding.
1: Um, It's like there's a great essay of Martin Amos's, There's a collection of Martin Amos essays called The Moronic Inferno, which is a book that I've read so many times. It's just so – such elegant essays about all sorts of different things, but there's a great one about um, the world – it's about chess grandmasters and it's just absolutely gripping – Oh, it's because it's such a weird, like, violent world. Like they're all smashing each other, and they're all paranoid about each other, and it's just freaky. I, I drop that in, but I know it's nothing to do with scrabble, but just,
0: You're just giving me that look with those eyes. <laughs> um, okay, some hands. Let me see some hands. Oh, what about right behind? The microphone's right there. <laughs> Hello.
1: So great to talk to you. Such a crazy fan. And I'm bringing my mum into the cult tonight. All right. <laughs> we'll she set al- you up with Anne Sales. <laughs> she already loves you, Annabelle, because you said the robots are taking over and my mum thinks the same thing. So. Yeah. You and me. <laughs> we know it's <what's> happening. <laughs> so um, to make up for the poetry question, I have to ask, uh, Lee, what's your favourite
0: musical? And you too, Annabelle. Oh. I know it's like choosing your favourite child as a fellow
2: geek, but... Please so share.
1: You do know that Lee Sales has practised her answer to this in the hope that somebody <laughs> would one day ask her. <laughs> and now you're just going to cop it, everybody.
0: So Get comfy. <laughs> um, look, it's a really hard one, actually. I think if, if we're going to talk film musical, hands down, Singing in the Rain. Like, Singing in the Rain is my favourite all-time film, right? Exactly. It's, it's just a brilliant piece of filmmaking. It's funny. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen it. Have you definitely? Is that the truth? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it. Okay. I'm not sure about you. (laughs) Anyway, it's a brilliant film. If we're talking about things to see on stage, it's sort of hard to go past a chorus line. I absolutely love a chorus line. But then there's also other ones that I think the shows are flawed, but I really like the soundtracks. Like, I love the soundtrack to Little Shop of Horrors. I I love the soundtrack to um, Rocky Horror Picture Show. In fact, the clanging reminds me a bit of um, the Rocky Horror Picture Show participation. Um, the river was deep, but I swam it. Just... <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's probably what I would say. Thank
1: you. I like all that jazz, if anyone cares. That's Chicago. Yeah. But the, film, the film, all that jazz. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no. My um, my so partner, um, we set up some like bank account. I oh,
0: don't thing. say this aloud. She doesn't have to tell you the bank password. Passwords. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's just going to have to be just changed ch- right away. Let's just away. say Jeremy gave something that he knew I'd be able to remember. <laughs> um. But it's not like a
1: password. No one can like go in there and just like milk all the <laughs> or funny nail <laughs> or anything. Like, have I done something bad? Probably. You, you it's can. It's like be... the time you killed that guy off in town
0: <laughs> now, oh God. Uh, I want to look in a different area so I don't ask the same people. So There's upstairs. Upstairs. Oh, yeah, sorry, upstairs, upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wake up, Jeff. They're, wow. they're with us. All right, upstairs. He's behind you. Hello.
2: Um, I think we all love your good-natured ribbing of one another. I wanted to ask what was the most shocked or offended you've ever been by what something the other person said. <laughs>
1: Time when you confessed to a packed Sydney Writers' Festival that you were never going to read any Dickens, like, that was a pretty shocking moment was I, I, actually a really one, a shocking one that I can't tell because it's just, you know,
0: too bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what you're thinking about. But I can always you know have what, power over you. Do you know what, I, do you know what I, I've never said this before but I always find slightly shocking? Whenever you show up if you're just wearing jeans or trousers or something because you so often wear a skirt, so if you just walk in in jeans and sneakers, I feel like... Oh, God! No, I just feel a bit like, oh! That's not Annabelle crap. Like, it just seems sort of weird. It's not offensive. It's just sort of slightly like, oh. <laughs> Where's her skirt? Where's her nice skirt? Lucky clothes? I'm wearing pants at all, mate. <laughs> <Where's it? laughs> okay, now, did someone else upstairs want to ask one? <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry,
0: got I got A crowd member um, dies Lea, in just horrible Chap 10 incidents. fabulous. Thank you. No
2: matter what Annabelle says. Thank you. Um... Quick question. So, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I teach young women. I was just wondering if you were a teacher, if you could go back in time and become an English teacher,
0: what's that text that you would teach to young women?
1: Oh, well, God, that's... A, good on you, and I'm glad that there's chatters educating the young because we need to infiltrate their ranks. <laughs> yeah. I... Oh. It's such a tricky one, um, but the one that I'm going to suggest is probably too old for your students, but like Virginia Woolf's To The Lighthouse. Oh, I was going to say Virginia Woolf, Woolf, A Room of One's Own. Stop copying me. (laughs) (laughs) A Room of of One's Own is probably what I meant to say, actually. Um, Um. That is a book that made me just think more deeply about, um, about women and work, although it sounds a bit boring to say it like that, but it's this, as is everything by Virginia Woolf, just this lyrically written book where you have to you could sit down and be staggered by the brilliance of a, of one sentence and what it can kind of pellucidly reveal it's just such a wonderful book but but for, for teaching kids probably not that great so it's a bad Depend- depends piece of what
0: year maybe what 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 age? like year 11, 12, 17-year-olds, so like 18-year-olds, so Wolf you is could, perfect, actually. Or you could have a stab at um, Margaret Atwood, Handmaid's Tale. Um, oh, yeah. Just because of the resonance to the current sort of vibe, um, that might be something that they feel a connection with. So, But all of those kind of, you know, Austin, George
1: Eliot, I mean, I'd read just... Motored through that kind of genre at that age and just found it so exhilarating. Maybe because I lived on a farm, you know, and it was so alien to what I was experiencing. I just found it incredibly magical. Um, and, you know, what those writers did with characters was just extraordinary. I'm trying to think of a less pathetic um, suggestion.
0: <laughs> just, wow, this class is going own. so well <laughs> um, We've put a few suggestions um, Okay, how about back downstairs Hello Hi, Hi. I, I just wanted to jump into Lee's defence I also don't feel the need to read any Dickens Oh, oh. good on you Or any right. Durrell See the, oh. Or any Durrell oh. oh, wow, what are you, a plant? How much is she paying? Yeah, how much is she
1: paying? Do you know, like, that um, – I got a long email about the dark history of the Durrell family. <laughs> like, after oh, we really? Last what, are the they stuff.
0: Nazis or something? The...
1: Oh, just, you know, the the um, my family and other animals
0: was a lie. They were all philandering, oh. frauds, etc. And oh. I'm like, oh, God, okay. the The Dickens situation, because basically at the last Sydney Writers' Festival I've been railroaded into reading – Dickens before the next Sydney Writers Festival in May. That's because the president of the Dickens Society turned up and, like, got snippy with you. It's like I I'll have got you. this constant nagging, you know, itch or something, where I'm just niggled all the time by the thought that, oh, I haven't read it yet, I've got to pick one, I've got to read it, I've got to knock it over, and I feel like, I don't want to, but I feel like I have to now. But reading an obligation is a bad
1: combination, I reckon. Like, cause, like sex. I mean, I will obviously... <laughs> I will obviously just mock you until the day you die about your Dickens problem. So you don't
0: want me to read Dickens because it's going to take away the gag. So it's a bit of that. So you could do it despite me. So if I guess. don't do it, I can blame it on you. I can say Annabelle Crab told me sure, not to. Sure, but I mean,
1: like, I just think the world is full of things that you feel bad about not reading. And, like, I just – I reckon I read a lot – and I, you know, it's not like I consciously try and keep across new books that have come out or like, you know, I'm not one of those people that goes, oh, the, the man book a long list is out. I'm going to read everything on the list before. It... I've just, I just do not do that at all. I've got a really haphazard approach to it. And some of it, sometimes it's like something that I find in a secondhand bookshop or whatever. I'm not very organised. But I always think, God, like there's so much that I haven't read and I feel like I read quite a lot and I still just feel like, oh, God, I don't know anything. And there's constantly I'll find a great author, I'll be like, oh, Rachel Cusk, she's amazing. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, her, that was amazing like three years ago. Like, and just, I'm like,
0: God, no one told me. It is a depressing thought to think that I am not going to read all of the books that have already been written that I'd like to read, let alone the ones that are going to be written before I die. Like, you probably, I mean, how many, how many books have I got left to read before I die? Maybe 300? Wow.
1: <laughs> I, I reckon you might jam a few more than that in, actually, <laughs> but know. I'm an optimist.
0: <laughs> I don't know. What, hang on, let me think. What am I, 45, if I'm lucky, 75, 30 years, if you read 100 books? Oh, maybe 3,000. Okay. I just... That's still not a lot in the scheme of all of the books
1: that but have been think written. think of the ones that you'll accidentally find. I accidentally found um, a new book by a woman called Jenny Zhang, Z-H-A-N-G. I think she's like... If she's not actually sort of weirdly published by Lena Dunham, she's being sort of like pimped a bit by Lena Dunham. And um, I... Just picked it up and I read 10 pages and it's incredible. Like it's really full on, incredible. And that is what I'm looking forward to reading tomorrow when I have a little bit of downtime. What's it called again? It's called Sour Heart by Jenny Zhang. Okay. And it's about like in the first, I mean, I'm not giving anything away, in the first 10 pages, just like about her childhood, like born to really poor Chinese immigrant parents in, I'm going to say New York, but I can't feels a bit new yorky but i can't remember exactly where they are but they're like super dirt poor and she's like talking about her recollections and i don't know if it's i th- it's a fictional character speaking i think but it's absolutely grab you by the throat writing and it's just exhilarating
0: um i noticed before that we've already gone over time sorry comedy theater can we just take two quick questions yeah so okay last two if anyone needs to cough and
1: leave because they are going up, to a white tie function. How you about know, there was someone a, back that direction? Did there? you notice how Brave Sales was about pushing through the thirty minute barrier and still talking? <laughs> Normally she's like, turn it off.
0: Turn it off. Also, does everyone like my birthday present from Annabelle Crab? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Far away. Uh, do you reread books? And if so, which books have you read most? Oh, I reread oh,
1: books all the time. And I sometimes if I'm sometimes you know you've got lots of books to read but none of them is quite right and so you reread an old one. The books that I have read the most times in my life would be and they're not necessarily books that I will still reread now but the ones that I've reread most in my life are Lolita. Um, still reread that. Uh, London Fields by Martin Amis. I was obsessed with that book for about three years. I would have read it at least 20 times in my life um, to the point where I can probably recite slabs of it, which would be really handy if I ever meet Martin Amis. Um, uh, the Passion by Jeanette Winterson, which I read you know, a bunch of times when I was in um, university, although I find it a bit embarrassing now because I think it's a bit blousy, but I you know, loved it very, very savagely at the time. And then... Um, I reread this book of essays by Jeffrey Steingarten who's the food writer for American Vogue so funny about food. He gets obsessed about things like creating the perfect french fry and it'll be like a 10,000 word essay about his mad adventures like he discovers that this restaurant in Paris whose french fries he loves are cooked in horse fat so then he tries to import horse fat to America so that he can recreate them and of course he gets arrested and killed and you know it's just anyway I reread that one because it's just so funny. And weird, and he's a great writer.
0: Probably the book, if I exclude childhood books, probably the book I've reread the most is The Corrections by Jonathan Franzen. And I am about to reread Personal History by Catherine Graham, which is one of my favourite memoirs. She used to own the Washington Post newspaper. Um, But yeah, I'm a big fan of rereading because I think you, you get different things from books at different stages of your life from good books. And so something that may not speak to you at a certain age, you might read later and then it might really resonate with you. So yeah.